Welcome to Upstream with Jim and John, father and son conversations about discipleship and culture in the Pacific Northwest. I'm John. And I'm Jim. And today we're going to talk about friendships. Yeah, friendships, uh, particularly adult friendships. Uh, Kids. Well, not child friendships. Well, no, I'm just saying, you know, (laughs) no, like kids. We're not going back to the playground. It is the odd kid that has a hard time making friends. I've been that kid, I can say. But it's the normal adult who has a hard time making friends. Exactly. That's what I mean. Yeah. That's yeah. a great conversation. So why is it so difficult for adults to have friendships, maintain friendships, and achieve deeper friendships? Yeah, you think, because everyone, not, most people say they're lonely, most adults. And if that's the case, then why aren't we, you know, holding tight to each other uh, in our loneliness? Great question. All right. So first story or joke time, and it is my dad's turn. Yeah. So today I'll give you a story. So... uh I get in my car the other day and I'm thinking this is on the way home from work and I'm thinking something doesn't smell right. You ever had that in your car where like maybe some milk spilled or something? It just doesn't smell right. Mm. And my car is pretty new. It's got uh, 17,000 miles on it. I've been enjoying the new car smells. Yeah. I I have had someone get in my car and say something doesn't smell right. Yeah. I didn't notice it. Well, I I have a sensitive uh, nostrils. So. (laughs) Uh, anyway, I, I drive home, eh, whatever. I get up in the morning, go to work, and I'm like, man, that something's not right. What kind of smell was it? It Well, I wasn't sure. And so, again, I'm thinking, did some food fall between the seats and you know, and start to smell bad, something like that. Mm-hmm. Go to work that day. I come home at the, out of the car, and I'm like, no, something's not right. <laughs> so when I get to the house, I pull in the garage. Uh-huh. I look all around. I don't see anything. And... Um, Oh, I get my gym bag out of the back of the car and I'm smelling it doesn't smell that bad. You know, Mm. certainly not that same smell. Sure. I get up the next morning, get in the car and I'm like, man, something smells like dead. (laughs) Something's dead in here. And I'm just frustrated. Mm -hmm. Open the windows, drive. I go to my McDonald's little breakfast there, you know, and I come out of McDonald's and get in the car and it's like, no, something is dead in this car. I think maybe, because this happened before when we lived out in mm-hmm. more remote, you know, uh, you have a mouse climb up into the engine compartment of your car and then burn to death. Sure. And so maybe there's a dead mouse in there. So I pop the hood. There's no evidence of any mice activity in my car. And I'm like, what's going on? I pull up floor mats. I'm searching. And finally, between my seat and the door mm-hmm. is a tiny dead bat. Whoa. Little ball of fur with two little black wings. And he's dead. Like you'd shut the door on it? Well, and he's still kind of soft when I used a napkin to get him out of my car. And I remembered two nights before that, driving home, a couple nights before that, with the sunroof open. Because if I can have the sunroof open, the sunroof's open. I like wind. Mm-hmm. And uh, I hear this. I'm on I five southbound, and I I'm, a, I'm there's no trees around me, that, and I hear a pow like a rock pop under the. And I thought a rock hit the sunroof. You know, oh, it yeah, hit yeah. the opening yeah. up there. I'm looking around. I don't see any damage or anything. <laughs> I think that bat. It was it was dusk. I think that bat flew into my sunroof, fell down in the back floorboard, and then crawled over to its death under my seat. Huh. That's my theory. Can you imagine? The life of that bat flying, and then you get sucked into a a, a, a 
object moving faster than you've ever seen and just blind as a bat. Yeah, that's crazy. You know, what's interesting is I was telling my assistant at work uh, about this story. I said, hey, I found this dead bat in my car. She's like freaking out. And she asked, she named a coworker, did they put that dead bat in your car? Because I guess we have a prankster on our staff who would do such a thing. Who would find a dead bat and put put it in in your car car. so you would have a dead animal smell in your car. Well, we won't name names. My uh, there I, is a plot though. <laughs> You're the the victim of a conspiracy, huh? Well, we're going to create at our staff retreat. We're going to create some opportunities to get this person. This is some uh, some entrapment, maybe. Hmm. Well, <laughs> you probably shouldn't have said that on the air, unless they don't listen. <laughs> in which case, that's a double punishment. Maybe we'll get a new yeah, listener really. after they get that's uh, true. They get stung. Uh, when I was at school, uh, I drove a. This old uh, Volkswagen. Oh, I mean, it was 2004. It drove old because Volkswagens don't age particularly well. Um, and uh, one, I forget why, I had to I had to leave it home and, and it was in the shop. And so you actually lent me your car. I remember this. Yeah, I had I had this. At the time, it was a big Jeep. Um, what was the making? The, oh, the, the Grand Cherokee. It was just a Cherokee. Cherokee. It was a 1998 Jeep Cherokee. No, no. This was your big white one. Oh, a Jeep Wrangler. Yeah. Oh, I gave you that? For, yeah. Wow, mm-hmm. I was foolish. Well, I didn't do anything to it, except uh, me and Lindsay went to a, a burger drive-in. and uh, You should have been cruising all over Kirkland with that thing, man. That's a, That was it's a, a nice. It, yeah. It's very broad. I wasn't used to... My first car was, was, was big. It was a big yeah. truck. But since then, I hadn't parked anything big in a long time. So I didn't like parking that Jeep. It was a little cumbersome. Hmm. Um, but... Uh, Anyway, so we go to Burgermaster. It's uh, right off. Same That's exit. down by the water. Uh, there might be a few. This one was right off of uh, that exit uh, to Northwest. So on oh, it's that old there. 50s kind of drive-in place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, right off the freeway. Yeah. Um, if you're taking. That thing's famous. Yeah, it's great stuff. Uh, anyway, I get a burger, and I love onions on a burger. Uh, it, for me, it's like one of the best parts. It makes, a, makes or breaks a burger. And uh, Lindsay is like, it's going to stink up this whole car. I'm like, no, it's not. They're just onions. Mm. And they're they're raw onions, you know, diced up. Yep. And then uh, we're driving around throughout the week. And I'm like, holy smokes. It still smells like that onion in here. Like for the whole week. That was on Sunday night, I think. Mm. And, uh, you know, driving around, whatever. And uh, she can smell too whenever she's in there. And uh, so finally... I started looking around because I'm like, there's no way that the presence of it. Right. Did you know, this. There's yeah. got to be something going on. And one single uh, square. square centimeter of onion had fallen between the seat and the in the, the console or the wow. the armrest and had destroyed the, the ecosystem of that car. Man. It was crazy. Well, you lost me at I let you drive my Jeep to the school while I drove your 2004 Volkswagen I don't Passat. think you did drive that. I think you either drove one of our trucks or you carpooled with mom that week. Wow. Because the Volkswagen was in the shop. That means I was driving that 91 F1, F-150. Either that or the Nissan we had for a while, the green Nissan. Man, I'm a nice dad. I, yeah. Or maybe a foolish dad. <laughs> it came back to you. By that point, the smell was out and uh, no structural damage. True. Was it full of gas when you brought it back? I don't remember. If it was, it was your money that filled it up anyway. So. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's true. All right. So let's talk about relationships, John. Yeah. Uh, 
I have a, another story. This one's a little more, a little sadder. This one's more to the point. This is a sad story. I mean, in a way. When I was when I was very young, so from you know beginning of school up until uh, my freshman year of high school. Okay. Um, I'm a I'm a likable guy, or at least I'm hard to dislike. If you know if there's a if there's a difference, I see there. the distinction there. Yeah. And so I never had issues making friends. Uh, and there was this guy until high school. We moved here, and I was very lonely. I didn't make mm-hmm. friends for a, a little while, but. Um, there's this guy in like my, in the charter school I went to. So I even knew him from fourth grade to eighth grade and, um, nothing particularly wrong with the guy. He just had a hard time making friends. And, uh, you know, when like, uh, you can tell a guy's really trying to fight his way into the group and, uh, and you know, as compassionate as I think I can be, no one's that nice when they're in grade to middle school. So I, I like, we didn't bully him, but I didn't, you didn't I didn't help extend. Him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I, so I feel bad about that now, but in my head, I was always like, what's the big deal? Just like, just make, make friends. You know, mm-hmm. that was like, cause to me it was never hard. And then now I'm an adult again, not condoning the behavior. I have regrets about that, but it was, it was a, it's a, it strikes me now. And in high school, because I suddenly, it didn't come easy anymore. Mm. So, um, and yeah, now, uh, as an adult, I, I, I feel like, like sitcoms kind of lie to you a little bit. Because as an adult now, and from what from watching you, your best friends never live near to you. Hmm. Uh, you go, you meet them in college or when you're younger, and then because you're adults, you go where you need to go, and that's often different places. So, like my best friends, including my brother, you know, are just kind of all over the place. And I have really good friends here, but the but you know the the brotherly bonds are many miles from here. And as far as I can tell to you, it's the same way. Hmm. You know, your your high school friends, your college friends, the people who you say are your best friends aren't. You know, they're they're a little ways from here. Yeah, that's an interesting thought. And why do you think that is? Well, I mean, like I when you're when you're an adult, you have more. Um, you have higher priorities. You know, it'd be nice to live where you're. Best friends. Well, I'm not saying that you're not living near them. Why can't you make new best friends? Oh, why don't we do that? I don't know. I, uh, I guess I'm not the most introspective. Well, I'm introspective. I'm not the most, um, I don't know, clear, self-aware, self-aware. That's exactly the word. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Um, so I call it just kind of, you know, it's just kind of like, like a platonic chemistry. Basically. It's like the X factor. It's like, you just, you just click with the person, you know? So there are people who I love and I, and I respect and they're great people. Um, but they're not necessarily like, they're not as easy to hang out with as other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, just be just, just personality, just temperament. Um, so even if you have the same, um, you know, values and everything, um, if you don't laugh at the same stuff, you don't laugh at the same stuff, you know? Yeah. So, um, so do you mean to say that, um, uh, however we find these people, but finding people that you click with that are fun is harder now. You know? Yeah, maybe. Well, so, so all the way through school, you know, you're like, it's like a science experiment. You're, you're put in these rooms <laughs> with like 30 people, your right, own age, right? You know, you're just don't find yourself in those environments anymore. Anywhere that I go now, workplace, church, um, you know, public library, it's all, um, uh, generationally diverse. Yeah. Uh, the, the term, um, 
like uh, basically diverse, but in all respects, in in age, um, religion, uh, upbringing, everything. So you're not in that kind of uh, you're not in that environment, that petri dish for, for right. finding the platonic chemistry. A monochromatic environment, yeah. not necessarily by race, I mean, but just by you're all in, in the same station of life. Exactly. So like all through school. Out of, you know, it was a smaller school. It was a charter school. But so in my grade, there would be, you know, uh, my I, eighth grade, there was like 30, 30 or 40 of us. And so, you know, roughly half guys, so 15. And I had two great friends. And I was on good terms with everybody. But I had two great friends. So if you think about that, two out of 15, uh, my odds of finding 15 people my own age and everything, and then finding two of those guys to be best friends, that's just not as likely when you're not forced to spend eight hours with these people five days a week so reason number one why friendships are harder working hypothesis this is no science okay yeah we're just gonna start making a list here i'm looking for a pen and i can't find one i got you uh reason number one that friendships are harder i always carry a pen is because we are not uh pushed into a uh target rich environment where we're going through the same thing at the same time together Mm-hmm. with people in similar challenges that we're in. So not even similar, the exact. Yeah. So that's a con let's call that context. Uh that context we were put in where everybody's at the same thing. So that's that's a I hadn't thought of this reason mm-hmm. why friendships are harder now. Um but that certainly makes sense because in in, in college and in high school that happens. Now one of the yeah. interesting things is uh, I feel like college was the funnest time of my entire life for your mm-hmm. mom. It was, it was a very difficult four years. Mm-hmm. She would not go back. Didn't doesn't miss it. Was glad it was over. Um, so that's an interesting thing because she was in that same Petri dish. Yeah. You told me this, uh, going in for all, actually all my life. You always said college was the funnest time of your entire life. Yeah. And that it wasn't that way for mom. So I was always like, I wonder how it's going to go. And, uh, it was a blast. It was so fun. Oh, so for you it was yeah. a it was a fun time. I loved it. Um, really challenging, um, just because of my my poor uh, produ- habits. productive habits. Yeah. It was yeah. a, it was a hard four years. Um, this the hypothesis I gave about you know being in this confined um, social experiment. people like you. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I've heard that for uh, dating. So a lot of guys, you know, when you get when you're leaving Northwest, they're like, "Well, if I couldn't get a girl here, <laughs> where where four, where fifty one percent of the population is female, more than that, it was almost two thirds, I think. Really? Yeah. When I was there, it fluctuated, but yeah, wow. it's a lot. So, but anyway, I, f- I think I think it works with friendships, uh, and I think the church. So if we go, I think if you're in the secular world, you have it even harder. Uh, cause now you, you know, there's, there's the spaces, right? So there's your first space is, um, is work, I think, or interchangeably and your second space is home. Uh, the third space for Christians is church. Mm-hmm. The, and this is, um, I should give, give context. These are, these are, uh, cultural or social interacting spaces, spheres. Right. Right. Uh, and so for a lot of people that of faith, that third space is kind of up in the air. That might be a book club, might be mm-hmm. if they go dancing, any any of their hobbies, you know. But but Christians kind of have an already designated third space if they utilize it. Yeah, you know, um, I read a book a while, you know, several years ago about belonging, and it talked about physical proximity, mm-hmm. and um, when you 
um, when you're with someone you have no sense of belonging with, there's physical distance. Yeah. And if that gets violated, you feel uncomfortable. And the, the, the more you belong, the tighter that space gets. Mm-hmm. So, for example, you go to a Seahawks game where there's 50,000 people in the same space. And, man, those seats are tight. And uh, you have this high sense of belonging because you're cheering for the Hawks. You're the 12s. Gotcha. You're screaming and gotcha, yelling. Gotcha. Yeah. And you're in very tight physical proximity. Concerts would be the same sure. kind of thing. And it was interesting as an idea, does uh, physical proximity increase belonging? Um, I guess in a prison, you might say, absolutely <laughs> not. It creates all kinds of conflict. Right. Um, but that's an interesting idea is physical proximity to people who would be candidates for relationship. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, and I mentioned this uh, communication theory a few episodes ago, but expectation violation theory. It's mm. one of. Tell me about that again. Dozens. I don't, I don't yeah. know that by no, name. No, you're good. Yeah. Uh, but just where whenever you go into a social interaction, you have um, implicit expectations that you might not be aware of. Okay. And if those are violated, then you suddenly become aware of them. And it can be uh, a real, a real kind of jolt. So, so one of them is spatial. If you're expecting a certain space to be maintained and they're mm-hmm. closer to you, mm-hmm. uh, or if they, you know, I don't know, you like talk to them and they're like, uh, no eye contact. Or, yeah, no, eye, or they they jump um, intimacy boundaries. They're yeah, like, um, yeah. you know, like what are you gonna do when your parents die? And you're like, I just met you. <laughs> you know. Uh, right, but right. one of the, another one of those was um, was that same intimacy kind of ladder. And it was, uh, I forget the name for this theory. I'm, like I said, I didn't study that hard. Right. It was just interesting. Um, but uh, where, like, you have to go through this information before you can get to that information. So you have to go through bio- biographical is like the outermost sphere. Right, right, uh, right. Where are you from? How old are you? Are you married? What mm-hmm, do you do for work? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, just like, you know, cut and simple. And then it gets into um, preferences, tastes likes dislikes yeah and then you get into you know hopes and dreams you get into fears fears is one of the closest to to the core so risky opinions and stuff don't exactly. come out till a certain exactly. layer exactly yeah. that's that's like deeper it's the onion it's the shrek theory yeah. you know yeah ogres have layers ogres um, have layers. <laughs> <laughs> um but and it's a theory so you, you can't prove social theories because it's not it's not tangible um they can just be highly accurate or not accurate but so I, I, and when that same thing where you're having to spend time with these people, like my best friends from college, I lived with them for four years. So it's like, or at least three, cause they were, a lot of them were older than me. So that's a lot of FaceTime, yeah. you know, to, to work through those spheres. You know, as I talk about all this, um, you were talking about how your, and you thought your perception of me is that my closest relationships are historical and not current. And, um, and distant and I meant geographically distant, not that you don't. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 And what I'm finding in my current state of life is that I feel disconnected from almost all of them. Hmm. I, I, I have one friend who is like a brother to me. We went to high school together. We met when we were freshmen in high school and he continues to be, it's instant, you know, just any conversation. You're right back there, right back there. And um, I know that he would take a bullet for me and he knows I would take one for him. And there's other friendships that I think we've had that commitment to each other. But for some reason, um, I feel like those are diminished in their contribution to my life. Yeah. 
partly because I'm a terrible long distance friend <laughs> and partly because for whatever reason, there's drift mm-hmm. time, time plus distance could be a, a real saboteur. Yeah. And so I think, um, especially in, uh, our country, you know, I, it's hard to speak of it because I don't know any other place, but there is, uh, an index we use for one of my courses. That's basically, it ranks countries on different factors. One of the, so like, like, um, one of them was independence. Um, and, uh, and what, how much that country values independence, America tops the whole yeah. planet. Yeah. Boom. Number yeah. one by like, by a, a decent amount directly below that is, is America like countries like Canada and England, um, or chicken or the egg or countries that America is like either way. America is, is the very top of independence. Yeah. So, um, I think part of that is the reason I was saying that it makes sense that I am geographically distant from these people is because of the value of independence. And I feel like the expectation that you go and you find your, your life, you know, you go and you, you make, you, you cling to your wife and you leave your father, that, that whole thing. It's, yeah. it's the journey kind of, um, let me ask you this question. Sure. Um, social scientists say we're the loneliest generation in history. In American history. Why do you think that is? Just just hot potato, huh? Just throw it. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I mean, we're talking about why those friendships were so vibrant younger. Yeah. Um, and I'm curious if current high school students feel that same sense of connection. You know, one of the things Sue and I do is open our home on Monday nights for high school seniors mm-hmm. during their senior year. And I'm finding that their sense, from my perception, their connectedness to each other gets uh, I would say that gap gets bigger and bigger every single year that, yeah. that the class that we just had um, is disconnected. And boy, as soon as graduation's over, they scatter. They don't stay in touch with each other very much. Um, a few do, but mm-hmm. it seems like that, that bonded sense of belonging is harder and harder to find, even for young people who are put in the, put in the social experiment. Right. I think, uh, the, the easy one, the elephant there is, is technology is smartphones, um, uh, of less intimate form of communication. So I remember when I was younger, uh, like, like a lot younger, like at early, like grade school, I had my friend's numbers memorized. Oh, wow. Know? Because you had to, you know, Oh like yeah. they didn't have cell phones. It was, I'd call their parents' house. And if it went to voicemail, and I, they were too far away from like bike riding distance. I would try again. I'd call them about twelve times until someone answered, and then I'd see if I could, if they were free to hang out. And that's how it was. So uh, even that, I feel like, is more intimate than than uh, texting, DMing. But you know, further back than that, you have letters and, uh, and then like the the community when like kids in a cul-de-sac. You know, you have like a like that very close geographical friendship, just based out of where you live. So uh, maybe that's part of it, but honestly, I don't. I'm, I don't know if I have the answers for that. That one. People feel when you think about people and like you've. I know you've pretty much given up on Facebook. You you have virtually oh, yeah. no engagement there. Yeah, I still. I, I was. I was gone from all social media for a while. Uh, back on Instagram now, and uh, I go on Twitter once every few weeks. But I haven't been on. I haven't been on Facebook in years. Yeah. I'm thinking about uh, what makes people connect. You know, when you, first of all, you have to have that opportunity. Like you said, I, friendships just happen to you. 
Mm-hmm. You get in proximity with a bunch of them, and all of a sudden there's that one. It just pow. This wow. I like you. You like me. That was funny. Let's do it again. Right. And um, one of the you know, uh, in I was sitting in a, a marriage um, kind of uh, marriage development class for married people, mm-hmm. and they were talking about uh, capitalizing on shared experiences where you both would say at the end of that experience, wow, that was fun. I'd like to do that again. Gotcha. And so a conversation or a trip or um, um, even romantically, you know, to make sure that that's something that you both would at the end of that say that, wow, that was fun. I'd like to do that again. And this goal of saying of both people being able to say that, wow, that was fun. I'd like to do that again. And um, it seems like there's a shortage of that kind of thing where I'm experiencing things, these common experiences with other people. Yeah. Well, I feel like, so I I read actually um, early, early Gen Z studies because the generation is, I'm I'm actually, I think the the oldest cap of Gen Z, people differ on when they think that generation starts and ends, but uh, when it was first, first studying, because they were in, you know, high school. uh, And uh, this person actually with the, um, this, this, uh, scientist with the uh, clearance of this uh, young woman's parents was allowed to just kind of interview this this woman every day for like a month uh, and just kind of observe her. And uh, over the, it was over the summer mm. and she would uh, wake up whenever she woke up and stay in her room. And I did the same thing, but it was, it was, you know, I played, it was because of video games and books and movies. Right. Right. She'd stay in her room and talk to all of her friends on her, her phone and laptop all day. But never leave the room. Never leave the room. And they were in the same city. You know, they're, high, they're school friends. They're not, you know, they're not different states or countries. And, and was that text or was it some it other was, form? I think most of it was Snapchat at the time. Okay. Um, so, yeah, video messages and stuff. So that's a little more intimate than, than just text. But still, like, no, no physical contact. She saw them, uh, I think, m- at most once a week for a week. They'd go see a movie that's or something. Or go, go to the mall. Yeah. Crazy. And even like I'm still the iPhone generation. I'm at the, the cap of that. So I got, I got a smartphone when I was 17 or 16. Um, but before that, you know, it was like I said, we'd we'd call each other, hang out, walk a few miles to the mall if we want, if we had to, right, or ride bikes, or whatever. You did bikes, you walked, yeah. So even that is different. And it was a good thing because your friend had parents who were like, I'm not driving you, get out there and walk. <laughs> and that even forced yeah. you to have more time walking and yeah. telling stories, throwing and rocks, shared and, experiences. Yeah, 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 in the hot. Uh, Colorado summers. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so I have a question for you then. So, so narrowing it down, um, the biblical, you know, Christian culture should be incredibly intimate. Well, if I'm not sure I would put the word incredible there. Incredibly. I would. I would. You would. You're you talking early church writers. That is an incredibly intimate group of people. The early churches. Okay. You know, I the, thought you the, meant today. I'm no, sorry. No, the, the, well, I think it, that's what I'm saying. It should be if you're looking at the early churches. So the way mm. Paul talks about the people, I can't. My heart burns to see you again before I before I go to Rome and, and possibly die. Yeah, that's you know, that's intimate. I would say. Well, he had, he was a spiritual father to them, and they had had some incredible shared experiences about survival. I would think. You know, thinking about that era, mm-hmm. it's an agrarian economy, so everybody is herding sheep you know, farming their land, building stuff with their hands. The pace of life is incredibly slow, mm, which sure. is a huge advantage for 
conversations and shared experiences. I think when I think about that and you, you're battling some common enemies, um, famine, drought, uh, pestilence, Hmm. you know, um, they're sharing, Hey, my farm's got an, an infection. What are you doing about that? And what can I do? And, uh, I need to build a house and there, and you know, that takes people to lift the timber. And so you come help me build mine. I'll help come help you build yours. Just such a, and nobody relocates. So you've got generations of people, hmm. families connected. Right. Weddings would last an entire day into the night. <laughs> right. So uh, I think the, that that alone creates lots of advantages for that kind of intimacy. So, so you wouldn't say that it's strange that, that Christians today aren't as intimate? No, I would not say it's strange. I, I would say it's sad. Um, so I, um, I think it is, what I think you're asking is, would you say it's, um, it's inappropriate or a deficit that we're not intimate? Really what I'm saying, and I, and I should have clarified, I assumed that we were, I guess I assumed we were going to be on the same page that if that all of modern America is lonely, when the church should be noticeably less lonely than the rest of modern America. I would agree with that statement. And why aren't we? Right. And and it turns out the church is almost as lonely. Now, when I, um, there was a stretch in my life where I walked away from vocational ministry. I felt like I needed to for uh, my marriage and my family. And through a series of weird events, I became an air traffic controller. And so my first duty station was Harlingen, Texas. It's down by the border of Mexico. And um, what happened, you know, of course, Sue and I moved to town. And the first thing we do is find a church home. Sure. And uh, within within 30 days, I would be up in the control tower and a controller would say, who has lived there? These controllers, they've all lived there a few years. Sure. And one of them would say, man, my air conditioner went out at my house and I'm not sure who to call. And I go, oh, call this guy. And then later, somebody would say, uh, I need my car repaired, but I'm not sure I got a mechanic I can trust. Oh, call this guy. And they're mm-hmm. like, how did you know all these people? You've been here 30 days. Yeah. And it was the church. Mm-hmm. So in lots of ways, if, uh, if, you're, if you give yourself to that opportunity, it is an incredible place to create networks of real help for each other. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it does still serve that purpose. But for a lot of people, it doesn't. For a lot of people, the church actually exacerbates their loneliness. They walk in, don't talk to anybody participate in church by looking at the back of somebody's head, singing some songs, listening to a monologue, and then they walk out. Mm -hmm. And it actually um, makes them feel even more lonely to be in a place like that and And be be alone. Yeah, yeah. And so that's a great question. Why is that the case? Which we're circling the wagons around the same question. Why are people more lonely today Mm -hmm. than ever before? And... um, I would like to hear you venture some guesses about that. I think I think busyness and pace of life. You mentioned technology mm-hmm. that we we spend time in virtual relationships. Um, I think we feel. I want to uh, disqualify the words coming to my mind, but that's not what I mean. Uh, ineligible or unattractive? So, do you mean like in a in a shame way or like a low? No, like uh, nobody's interested. Yeah. I would like to have some friends, but I can't. But nobody seems to be interested. Yeah. Do you have all the friendships you want? 
if I were to quantify it, the ones that I want to hang out with on a Thursday night are, are far away. Mm-hmm. Um, would you like to change that? I mean, yeah, not by, well, not by disconnecting from them. Right. But by adding more, I don't know if this is my, um, crippling sentimentality, but part of it is I don't, is I don't want new friends because I have, cause I really like the friends that I have. And, uh, Coming back from NU and replugging in in this town, I've met really, really great friends. And uh, and part of the challenge there is a lot of them are younger than me or, or some of them are older than me. And there's mm-hmm. there's weird kind of um, life experience boundaries yeah. to where to some I'm more, I may be more of a mentor. Uh, like they're, you know, they're like uh, couples that are uh, late teens, early 20s and engaged. And me and Lindsay are a little later on and married. So there, there's some there's less common ground there, but it's still a great relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, the ones where, uh, common ground shared experiences, uh, let's just, you know, fellowship. A lot of those are far away and it's, it's hard for me to stop missing those and go get a new one mm-hmm. for me personally. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. a sad idea. That's not a hopeful idea. That's interesting. Yeah. How, how do you feel about it? When you, when you talk, when you think about your friends, uh, like your uh, not not your earliest high school friends. So the friends yeah. you made in college. Well, when I mentioned earlier, those seem to be fading. I do feel a shortage. Mm. Um, the you know the one from high school, I do get a chance because my mom lives in that town. Right, you get I, to see him. when I go visit her, I get a chance to see him. That's good. And so we've stayed, and he's made efforts all all these years almost every single year to fly wherever I live and we spend a week together playing golf or doing something, you know, at least a few days. So that has kept that very much alive. Um, but, but many others have just diminished. Yeah. There's, I've mentioned briefly, uh, sitcoms. Yeah. Uh, with the, with, with Seinfeld friends, cheers, uh, cheers, um, how I Met Your Mother, mm-hmm. New Girl. These are like these are big friend group mm-hmm. sitcoms. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of the more recent ones. Yeah, the about, brainy guys. What is that? Uh, um, Frasier. All the science guys. Oh, Big Bang Theory. Big Bang Theory. Another one. Yeah. yeah. One thing I noticed with those is that almost all of them, except for Seinfeld and and um, Cheers, they so so all the more modern ones. They always live together, and I think there's something to that because. Because adults don't spend time with people who they don't live with, mm-hmm. you know, so you can't create these character moments and keep these characters believably friends if they're not sure have a roof. real life. Yeah. yeah. Where you see like Frazier, for example, his only friend is his brother right. and his coworkers. Yeah. And the people that he's forced to spend time that he's with. forced to spend time with. And so when you said hyper business, I hadn't actually thought of that until we started recording that that could be a part of it because um, it's just hard to it's hard to come home and then try and leave the house again before you go to bed that night. Yeah. And not only are we busy, but we cave in our houses, right? We stream Netflix, watch a whole season, you know, when, um, stranger things, stranger things three comes out, you know, you're going to, you're going to park the car and watch the whole season. Yeah. So the more social of us will actually make the party out of that. And that's cool. You know, have a shared experience. There you go. That creates that shared experience. You know, when we were in Colorado, we did um, 24 Monday oh, nights was 24 those. night I love and those. we would have potluck dinner. Everybody come over. We had rules, you know, once 24 starts, you have to be quiet. 
You can't talk during the episode, except mm-hmm. only during the commercials. But we would all have this shared experience of Jack Bauer saving the world one more time. And Me and my best friend, we were in middle school at that time. We'd have to go upstairs and watch it in the loft. Because uh, you, you talk too much. kick us out, yeah. 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 But yeah. I, every Monday, I'd get to school, and I'm like, oh, it's Monday. And then I'd go, hey, 24 night. Yeah. It was awesome. It was awesome. And I think, um, you know, here in the recent time frame, Sue and I have been to about three different people's homes for a meal mm-hmm. and uh, hanging out with people we haven't normally, we haven't um, spent lots of time with frequently. And it has been an absolute blast. Hmm. So maybe we should start shifting to what can we do to start fixing this? And I think that um, taking a risk, you just you just recently after church spent an entire afternoon with a couple that you had lunch with. Yeah. And and that's how you get to know someone. But it's so much I don't know, maybe it's an age thing, but I just want to be home. Yeah, that one I was, love to be home. I don't know. For whatever reason, because I love being home. A few people love as a couple. If you bring, if you talk right, about the right. the uh, home love <laughs> quotient, few couples have a higher home love quotient than me and Lindsay. That's do. true, and uh, it was not a problem for some reason. Um, I love hanging out with uh, with other couples. Um, I think part of it was I've known uh, the guy at least for mm-hmm. a really really long time. <clears throat> um, really really. Uh, comparatively to how old I am. <laughs> yeah, it's not yeah. like a lifelong friendship, but you know, uh, am I interrupting a thought? No. Okay. In my neighborhood, you know, we've lived in our home here for one year and this neighborhood is pretty small. I think there's 45 homes in the neighborhood and um, this neighborhood is thick. Mm-hmm. My neighbor right across the street, we talk to each other every time we see each other and he just had uh, an event, a fish fry in the backyard, kind of an end of summer blast for the neighborhood. I got another neighbor who has a bunch of apple trees in their yard. And when they all harvest, they throw a big apple thing at their part in their driveway. So you can go there and have apple cobbler. You can have apple cider. That's awesome. You can take home a bucket of apples. Yeah. And uh, because they have way more apples than they can manage. And so this neighborhood makes an effort to connect with each other, Um, which interestingly, I'm new to the neighborhood and i pull in my driveway, open the garage door, park in, shut the garage door and mm-hmm. go inside. And so I still can't name my neighbor on my left or my right. Hmm. I know the guy across the street. We've actually made dump runs together and we've talked a oh, lot cool. together. Um, but, but um, there's still this impulse in me to hibernate. Yeah. I remember, uh, I, cause I guess when I was a kid, I like, I noticed things about adults. That I never realized I noticed until later. <laughs> and one of them was we had these, these neighbors. Um, if you're looking out our front door, they were on our right. And they were, uh, this older couple. I don't remember them ever having kids around, maybe adult kids. Uh, but they were the sweetest. They were awesome. They were amazing. And, um, I very rarely saw them. I never knew their names. They'd bring over baked goods, uh, about once or twice a year. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking how strange that was, that they had never been over for dinner and uh, or vice versa. We talked in the yard a lot, and she was a rabid Pittsburgh Steeler fan. So there was a <laughs> time <laughs> there was a time when the Broncos played the Steelers mm-hmm. in a playoff game, and I bet her a baked good uh, that my team would win, the Broncos. Mm-hmm. 
And I said, if I lose, I will not have my wife bake this. I will bake it. <laughs> and if I win, I because she was an amazing baker. Yeah. Well, the, the Steelers won, and I baked her a pecan pie. Really? Yeah. And I took it over to her. And uh, so you we didn't had to just go buy one from Sam's Club. No, I was tempted was... to, but I actually made it with my own because I promised her I would. Wow. And uh, so that was a lot of fun. Well, that is fun. Yeah. So uh, let's start wrapping this up yeah. with some maybe takeaway items of what we could do to stimulate uh, more connection. Sure. I, I I heard some research. Let me give you this, and then we'll do a commercial, and then we'll do our takeaways. Please. I saw some research just uh, yesterday, I think, about relationships. Not really research, but a conversation like this. And one of the problems, and marriages, we're seeing marriages last shorter than, than ever, and mm-hmm. friendships don't stay deep and long-term. And and uh, this was the pattern, that that you are you have that spark, and you're drawn to someone. Right. And so then you start spending time together and then the dark side of their personality emerges because we all have a dark side. It's some habit that drives you crazy, drives you crazy. It's some tendency. It's some flash of selfishness. It's some way they treated somebody, but you start to see a disappointing dark side to their personality. And many people just abort right there. As soon as it gets, as soon as it gets challenging, as soon as it gets challenging or not fun, you know, there's this hurdle. Ooh, I don't, I didn't really like that. Um, for me, I can just tell you it's negativity. When somebody I'm hanging out with is negative, it sucks the life out of me. Sure. But, uh, you find this dark side and then, um, what happens in a long-term relationship, if you autopsy, what the path they went through, they went through connection. Then they went through dark side. Then they went through. Um, acceptance where I begin to just accept you for who you are. I don't want to try to change you. Uh, I just accept you. And then there that fades into these couples who've been together forever in a marriage scenario to appreciation. Hmm. My friend from high school, um, he had a dark side early on. The guy lied about everything. He (laughs) was a pathological liar and, and even about stuff that didn't matter. Yeah. And it would drive me crazy. And, uh, but we punched through that. Um, we had honest conversations about it at one point, finally, and we punched through that and we had a bunch of shared experiences. We had some big fights. It, it came to acceptance where I just love the guy for who he is and he loves me for who I am. And then it became appreciation. Like I highly value this guy. Yeah. Even the flaws that drove me crazy early. And I think one of the things we do is we unplug from a relationship before it has the opportunity to get to acceptance and certainly before it has the opportunity to get to appreciation. Right. One of the things I realized in my close relationships as when I was a kid was that um, really it wasn't the people who we had forced our way through the hard times. It was people whose detriments, whose dark sides didn't bother me very much. Mm. So it's like if the, if someone's had a personality trait that really irked me, I just wasn't their close friend. Yeah. You know, so it'd be people who even when they were being, you know, a real wad, I was like, eh, yeah, it could be worse. I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it does. Okay. So, uh, that, that leads me to this thing you read today. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this, this would be an interesting question. The idea was you're not lazy, you're afraid, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, that's the, the of the article, yeah. Of this article. So think about this. You're not lonely, you're afraid. You think there's a connection there? 
between that and and not having friends and yeah you don't have a lot of friends because you're afraid yeah i think and i think the fear there so the part the point of the article was uh diagnose that feeling because you're always regardless of what you're thinking you're always motivated by something and in these cases he cited fear and uh i would say that that is true because we're afraid of um i want either the work it's going to take uh, and to the vulnerability it's going to take to get to a place of of the friendships that you remember. Mm-hmm. So for me, there's a, a nostalgia attached to that where the um, the stalling agent, the the factor that's making me hesitate, is is that I'm clinging to these other ones and I'm realizing how much groundwork there is there. So yeah, and the thought and, of doing that again is exhausting. Right, right. and I don't want to have to. I don't want to have to, you know, reveal dark things about myself over and over again until I find someone who's a friend who I can actually, who's like, you know, yeah, who's going to get past that with you. Right. That's interesting. You know, people my age talk about if your spouse died, would you remarry? Mm-hmm. And um, I have said absolutely not. In fact, I have told several of my friends my age, mm-hmm. if Sue dies and I outlive her and I even look at another woman or I even hint that I might get married again, you punch <laughs> me right square in the throat. And you tell me, no, 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 no. Why? Well, the reason I feel that way is because I've been married 35 years right now to Sue. And we've gone through uh, connection, frustration, acceptance, Mm -hmm. and now appreciation. I don't want to do that again. I got miles into this thing. And not only that, if they're my age after Sue dies, they also have miles with somebody or maybe two or three somebodies. And now you're bringing all of that baggage into a place where now to get that pathway is even more cumbersome. So what I notice of people older than me is they just don't want to be, they're lonely. You know, when their spouse dies, they're lonely. And so they enter into a different kind of marriage. It is. It's symbiotic. It's transactional almost. Uh, I'll be your friend. You be mine. And uh, we will let our previous lives lie. We'll talk about loneliness i think it is age related and i think it gets lonelier as your pool your pool of prospective friends thins out you know when you're 70 the amount of guys who you can who you could like like i was saying that numbers game of being with like 15 kids my own age yeah that reality is, is i close think to i think you actually missed this one because that's when that that brotherhood comes back together because they're 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 retired they got time on their hands so they either play golf together there's if you go to mcdonald's any mcdonald's in this town (laughs) i've noticed this in the morning there's a group of old guys that meet there early in the morning every day i work out at a at a gym and there's a group of guys there they hang out there after they work out and so it actually becomes easier then for men i've noticed in that senior phase because they've got time on their hands and they want to have someone to talk to. Yeah. They got a lot of time on their hands. Yeah. Okay. We're running away from this commercial break. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll do it and then we'll do our takeaways. Okay. So uh, you're listening to upstream with Jim and John, that last two bit with Jim and John is us. And it's a, a platform we're hoping to grow where we uh, write uh, eBooks a few times a year, hopefully a full book once a year uh, we already have a, a blog and this podcast mm-hmm. uh, at jimandjohn.com, no H and John. And uh, we are uh, funded right now. I'm 
mostly we have a few very very faithful and we're very grateful for patrons. We are funded mostly on our own, but self-funded. Uh, we, have, we have some we have some we have some supporters now. Yeah, on a site called patreon.com. That's where uh, if you And there's a link on our webpage. So if you go to jimandjohn.com, yeah, you'll see the Patreon link right yep. there on the homepage. Yeah. Uh, but Patreon is where you can go and give uh, a certain amount of money a month, uh, as little as $1. And there are some perks that you get for uh for donating a dollar a month, but really they are just um they are uh, tokens of gratitude right. for supporting us. Right. It's not a transaction. Really, you're just supporting our mission, which is to help stuck Christians or or, um, or lonely Christians even. Because we have this yeah. mentorship that a lot of people, in the same way, it's hard to find friends. It's hard to find mentors. And uh, that it could be sort of uh, vicarious, but also inspire you to go find one of these of your own. Yeah, it's true. And we want to write more books. And I've already started to pencil out the the next one, I think, um, which is a book about Moses. And the book, I think, is going to be called Moses School of Leadership for the Clearly Disqualified. And uh, so I've started thinking about that. I've also got a couple of other ideas. Um, So we want to write more. We want to publish more. We want to contribute more. Yeah. And the the more... uh the more money coming in this, the more time we can give to it is really, is really the cut and dry. We love doing it. We're never going to stop doing the podcast as long as we can. Yeah. Uh, but if we want it to go further and if you want it to go further too, if you, if you think that it's a, a good cause and you think we can do it, um, jump then, on and be a team member. Yeah. That'd be yeah. great. Yeah. All right, John, biggest takeaway today. Biggest takeaway was actually, it's actually a new idea, but I think it, it has some merit. And I, and I realized it again while we were talking, uh, was I've said, shared interest a few times, but I realized that actually my closest friends, we don't ever do my main hobbies together. Interesting. And like you and I, we talk, we have talked for a combined, who knows how many hours. Right. And you really could give a rip about a lot of stuff that I love. I don't want to play video games. No, uh, not in the fantasy. I'm not in the fantasy. Not going to play Dungeons and Dragons. You don't no, do that. No, I don't. But there's some core stuff we do like Westerns. We love Westerns. Yeah. Uh, just, you know, cool stories, but yeah. anyway, so there's some things of course, but, uh, I wouldn't say like a hobby group would be great. If you say you're into knitting and you go find a knitting group and you make friends mm-hmm. there. Um, but I don't think you need to, you don't have to have a checklist. Like, like my, my best friend coming out of Northwest, uh, has kind of a jock mentality about video games. The guys who play video games are just nerds. Just right, and right, right. And I play a lot of them, so, and, it, and it was never a problem. So what's interesting as you say that is that um, I, you know, bought a Harley this year, mm-hmm. and I've actually ridden with a few men, and it has brought a bond there. Yeah, I, and I do. So a to, shared hobby does right. does help. Right. The point is not to diminish the shared hobby, but only that if you that don't let that be the only thing that keeps you being friends because right. you're going to get through that anyway. Right. In the same way, me and my brother, that's how we hang out as we play video games online. Yeah. Together because it's, you know, it's a way that we can spend, you know, two and a half hours together doing an activity while we're literally thousands of miles apart. So, yeah, uh, there's a lot of value to that. Um, but not that that is the that's not why we're friends. Okay, yeah. so that was your biggest takeaway. I'm going yeah. to tell you mine in the form of what I think my biggest problem is and what I should do to fix it. Please. And if you have one of those, you could you could add to that too. I think my biggest problem is laziness because I like to hunker down at my house. I love to unwind at home. I like to be home. And so mm. um, for me to, to connect deeper in friendships, I'm going to have to get out of my house or invite people into my house but I need to take some initiative and get moving. 
um, because I, I think, and I don't think I'm alone in this idea, um, that I, I work hard and I get tired and I like to be at home. And so, um, I think for me, the big takeaway is shared experiences, seek some, um, invite people over for a meal. Everybody brings a piece of food that contributes to it's a Mexican night or, I had some friends, they did Taco Tuesdays forever at their house. And oh, everyone wow. they knew knew that Tuesday night was taco night. And you could go to their house and have tacos. And it was a wide open door. And I think those kind of things really create, you know, breaking bread together, in particular meals, is a great way to to connect. Yeah. Question then. You say laziness is the obstacle. Is that based out of fear, do you think? Or is that just plain and simple exhaustion? No, I think it's just a selfish desire to hunker down, gotcha. which is not, it turns out to be self-sabotaging because it's not fulfilling. Mm-hmm. It's not energy creating, but it's a natural impulse. Sure. Okay. So obstacle and action over that obstacle. Yeah. Um, obstacle would be um, maybe a, I guess if the, if all of my friendships up till now have happened naturally, the obstacle is the expectation or hope to, to wait for them to happen naturally mm-hmm. continuously. And maybe the moving action past that obstacle would be that just because a friendship happens by on purpose doesn't mean it's less of an authentic or, or genuine friendship. So um, pursuing those in either a small group, which me and Lindsay are not, aren't part of, um, or maybe a hobbyist group or something. I don't know. That's good. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. All right. Well, listen, thanks for listening in. We'd love to hear from you. Email us at info at jimandjohn.com. No H in the John. And uh, man, send us your thoughts. Send us your questions. Things. Send us topics you'd like to talk about. Um, as always, uh, we'd love for you to share this with a friend. Um, subscribe if you haven't subscribed. And uh, have a wonderful day. Yeah, see you guys next week. Thank you.